Well, I'm glad you all have crowded together here. Uh, you know, make space for everybody as they're coming in. Uh, if you came in a bus, they'll wait for you. Uh, so good to see you. It's really good to actually see you. And uh, thank you. I, made it, I said, hey, turn up the light so I can, you know, see the whites of their eyes so I can shoot them. They're easier to shoot when they're closer. Uh, man, this has been a tough season, right? With so many people that, you know, struggling with the, with the COVID-19 uh, stuff and then this than the other issues that we have going right now with the, the racism issues that we need to talk about. So today I want to talk about racism and uh, how it affects the church and how the church can make a difference and how God wants us as the church to make a difference. And when I say the church, we are the body of Christ. We are the church. And so how does that work? Now, you understand this, and I, there, are, there are many, you know, uh, more educated people than I that, you know, that... And certainly people like Dr. Tony Evans, who have dealt with this firsthand, being a, a black pastor. Uh, he's got a great series on Right Now Media called Oneness Embraced. I would encourage you. We have, everyone in Life Community Church, you have access to Right Now Media. Uh, and you, through Right Now Media, you can go and watch this video series. It's just, it's just six short. They're really meant to be discussion starters. They're 12 or 13 minutes, powerful. Uh, there's some other great resources on there that I would recommend you watch on Right Now Media. If you don't know how to get onto our Right Now Media page, uh, there's a link on our website underneath resources. So look underneath there and you'll find it and, and you, can, you can be a part of that. Thank you so much. Uh, so we have to understand that in, in our country, we have had a long history of racism. Uh, true racism began, you know, even before there were African slaves that were brought to our shores in 1619, uh, in the way that, in a sense, the manifest destiny doctrine spread through uh, the European countries, which basically to say is that the white man is superior and he has a right, he should rule every other inferior culture and tell them how to live their lives because the white man's superior. That was the manifest doctrine that caused us to be so deceptive to the Indians over, I mean, we made hundreds of treaties with the Indians. Uh, we never kept one of them. They, they did. <laughs> they did. We didn't. The American nation did not keep our treaties with the Indians. And Indians are still treated, still today, treated despicably, I would say. But we've had a long history of racism that began with the first African slaves, which came in 1619. These were, these were probably taken off of a Portuguese ship stolen off of a Portuguese ship, brought into uh, Virginia, and there were, went into what began the colonial slave trade. And so colonial slave trade was different than every other slave. In, when you read about slavery in the Bible, you'd read about slavery in Roman history. Uh, it was, to, in, in many degrees, it was more like indentured servitude. 
And even so, even a lot, of the, a lot of the people who came to the colonies, who came to America in the beginning, came as indentured slaves. In other words, they could come and work their way to freedom. They could come and work their way to a parcel of land. They could come, but there was a, a moment in time that they were going to be free. What changed is that three indentured slaves escaped, two white and one black indentured slave. The white indentured slaves, they gave one year more on their indenture for escaping. To the black man, they made him a slave for the rest of his life. So, it began with our Constitution. It then it was ingrained by the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court, the, is it the two-fifths rule that, that a, a black person is only two-fifths a person? Which, what happens is that with that decision, their uh, black slaves were not people, they were property. They were property to be controlled, to be managed. And so that began the mentality. It was ratified by our courts. Then we fought a great war. Uh, the North fought the South. Uh, the South, because the South had, had a lot more slaves in the North. And in the North, most of the Northern states had already uh, set the slaves free in the 1850s. Uh, but the South continued to practice slavery. And we fought this great war. Abraham Lincoln won the presidency on, really on a platform that he was going to uh, end, abolish slavery. And when he did that, the southern states seceded from the Union. And then Lincoln actually went to war to w get the southern states that had withdrawn to get them back. It's, it's our most deadly war that we have ever fought. Uh, seven, at least 750,000 men died during the Civil War from the North and the South. More from this, about 350,000 from the north, about, about the same from the south, uh, died because of, because of uh, this war. More, it's more than World War I and World War II, the Vietnam War, uh, the Korean War, and the Afghanistan War, and the Iraq War. You put all those wars together, the war in Japan, the war in Iwo Jima, Iwo Chi, all of those uh, Pacific Islands that we, all of those, we, we still, we had more die uh, in the Civil War than any other war. Then after the Civil War, uh, in the South especially, a lot of those generals who came back and that had fought in the war, they were really, they were really honored, right? We know that many were, many were honored because there's statues of them. Uh, towns were named after them. Uh, this mentality continued in what began then after the 1865, af after the Civil War, 1870s, 1880s, 1890s, uh, began what is known as the Jim Crow era. Jim Crow is a euphemism, Jim Crow for Negro. Jim Crow was, uh, they believe it was uh, a man who dressed in blackface and made fun of, uh, of black people. And so they, they used this, this uh, he was a part of Andrew Jackson's 
presidential campaign who was really very racist president that we had at that time. And uh, so began what we, we all know as the Jim Crow era. In the Jim Crow era, here's what Wikipedia says. As a body of law, Jim Crow institutionalized economic, educational, and social disadvantages for African Americans living in the South. Jim Crow laws and Jim Crow state constitutional provisions mandated the segregation of public schools, public places, and public transportation, and the segregation of restrooms, restaurants, drinking fountains for whites and blacks. So this was all continued to be in place until 1968 when the Civil Rights Act was passed. And all of this, the the purpose of the Jim Crow laws They had a purpose, and the purpose was to keep black people in their place. You ever hear that? I heard that growing up with racist people around me. I grew up in in a racist home and uh, surrounded by racist people, racist white people uh, all around me. I heard that a lot. I I heard that phrase, oh, I don't mind black people as long as they're in their place. What, what place is that? Well, what they mean is, I don't mind black people as long as they're doing menial jobs, you know, shining shoes and washing cars, but, you know, they have their place, and they're, they're not equal to us. They're not as smart as us. They're not as good as us. There was a mentality that's institutionalized in our mentality. It's, it's a part of who we are. We were born into it, and it was... It's, it's so ingrained in our institutions that even, even the church is affected by racism. I mean, the most segregated hour in America is the 11 o'clock hour. Because there's black churches and there's white churches. And it's still very divided in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, is there a way out of it? Is there a way out of slavery? And I, slavery and I, racism, there's a way out of slavery, absolutely. There's a way out of racism. And I believe there is, and I believe the hope we have is in Christ. And I believe that as Christians, we have the responsibility to be the answer to the problem and not be the problem. Here's what Jesus said. He said, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how does salt lose its saltiness? Well, the way you make salt in 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 Jesus' day is they would, they would create an area, a, a shallow area where they would, when the tides would come in with salt water, they would, they would then block that off so that that water wouldn't escape. It'd be a shallow pond and it would evaporate. And as that salt water would evaporate, eventually you would have an area of salt. So they would gather the salt, but you have to know that there's a place at the bottom of that pile where the salt is in contact with the dirt. So there's salt, but there's also dirt. So salt that has dirt in it has lost its saltiness. In other words, you don't want to sprinkle salt and dirt on your food. Salt, yes. You ever go to the beach? It seems like when you go to the beach, everything you do has sand in it. You have sand in places you didn't even know you had places. 
right? And so you, you, just try to, you just try to, okay, we're gonna eat sandwiches. You eat a sandwich on the beach. It's got sand in it. Everything has sand in it. And so it's not as appealing. It, you, you will sometimes endure it because you're really hungry and you want a sandwich. But think about it. So what, what if you had salt that's mi- mixed with 50% dirt? Jesus said, well, salt that's lost its saltiness, it's, it's mostly dirt. Nobody wants that. The only thing it's good for, they use this salt, dirty salt to kill weeds, to put in the path to, so that the grass wouldn't grow in the path. It's to trod underfoot. So Jesus is saying, we, do, we, do, we don't want to lose our saltiness. We don't want to be mixed with the culture. We don't want to be mixed with the ideas of the world to the, to the degree that we're worthless, we're tasteless, that when anybody tastes us, their response is, eh, that's got too much dirt in it. Can you imagine? He says, it's good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. He said, you're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? Why let the light shine? Why let the light of Christ shine? That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He said, I want you to live in such a way. I want you to live separate. I want you to be salty. I want you to be full of light so that it will be observable, that the the world will notice that there's a difference. You're not exactly like the world. You're not like everybody else. There's a different value system. We have a different value system because we have a different king. We're part of a different kingdom. You know, if you're going to solve a problem, first you have to admit you have a problem. Sometimes it's hard for us to admit that we're racist. And even if you don't intend to be racist and you, you're against racism, you probably, it's probably been so ingrained in the culture of your life and the people around you. I know, I know that I grew up with racist parents that said racist things, and they loved Jesus. I also know that when I came to know Christ, he immediately began to deal with me about those things in my heart. And so I have been, by the grace of God, I've been endeavoring to eradicate, eradicate the racism that is, that is ingrained in me. But I want you to know, not only is it ingrained in my family and ingrained in my culture, but it's also ingrained in our institutions. It's just been a part of who we are as a country for so long that it's there and we don't recognize it. We have a problem, and if you want to solve a problem, you have to recognize you have a problem. Last, last January, about the time of my birthday, I started having a problem. My blood pressure was 200 over 100. I've never had any problems with my blood pressure. And I'd gone to the dentist, my blood pressure was a little high. It was 180. Or, okay, it's a lot high. It's like 180 over, you know, 90. So, you know, the, the dentist says, you have a problem with high blood pressure? I said, only when I'm at the dentist, uh, you know. And so then I broke a tooth, had to go back to the dentist twice. And one time they took my blood pressure. It was like they just gave up. They said, I don't, I don't think the blood pressure cuff is working. It was so high. So eventually... I didn't want to admit there was a problem because I'd never had a problem. Never had any problem with my blood pressure. It'd always been normal. And so 
why would it be a problem? I didn't want to admit there was a problem. So finally, I went to my general practitioner, and they took my blood pressure, and it was kind of high, but it wasn't like 200. It was, you know, kind of high, and they did blood work, and when the blood work came back, they said, oh, no, you got a problem. Your bone marrow is not turning off and on like it's supposed to. And you are overproducing red blood cells and white blood cells. So that what had happened, now my blood was 72% red blood cells. My blood was really thick. The reason that my, my blood pressure was high because it was like pushing syrup through my veins. And the Lord was gracious to me and I didn't have any problems. I didn't have any complications. The, the main treatment, I have kind of a, this is kind of like, like a medieval disease because the main treatment is, is that they do bloodletting. They take my blood. So they go, you know, and I've got a leech in my pocket right now, uh, <laughs> which would probably be cheaper. I ought to think about doing that. Uh, <laughs> Tina might give up on me then if I started carrying around leeches, though, I think. That might be the end right there. 44 years, but she said, okay, I'm drawing the line at leeches. Uh, and so, uh, they took, the doctor told me, said, you know, you're going to have to have about 43 of these, uh, phlebotomies, uh, where you give about, a, about a liter of blood before your level's going to come down. I, my level came down to normal within six in six phlebotomies. So thank the Lord for that. But then I, I didn't even realize I felt bad. I didn't know I was sick. I, it was just so gradual but I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't realize I had a problem. So to get well, I had to admit I had, I had to go to the doctor. And I had to admit I had a problem. I had to start taking blood pressure medicine. And I had to start taking a, a chemo pill to help slow down the, the, the production of, of uh, red blood cells in my body. So I think one of the things we have to do is we have to admit we have a problem. I love the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah... Uh, had been taken into captivity in, and because God was judging Israel because they weren't keeping the law. So since Israel didn't keep the law, God judged them and sent them into captivity for a, a period of time for them to be disciplined as a nation. So Nehemiah is there, and he's, his family comes back. They've been in Jerusalem. His family comes back from Jerusalem, and he asks them, how are things? Hey, how's things in Jerusalem? And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the Lord God of heaven. Then I said... Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayers of your servant who is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. So, Nehemiah identifies with the nation of Israel and says, God, forgive our sins. He wasn't even born when these things happened. You know, have you heard people say, well, I never had any slaves? Good. That's a good start. <laughs> but that doesn't mean you're not racist because you don't have slaves. 
Nehemiah is saying, I recognize that there's a problem. And I want to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. So, Lord, I'm asking you to forgive our sins. Forgive the sins of our nation. Our nation has sinned. Forgive the sins of the church before me. Churches have, have, have uh, endorsed racism. You know why there's a Southern Baptist church? Because there's a Northern Baptist church. And the Northern Baptist Church and the Southern Baptist Church is split. And that happened to more than just the, the, the Baptists. There happened to many denominations that split to maintain racism. The church, when it should have been a light, when it should have been a city set on a hill, instead agreed with the culture and became dirty. It lost its saltiness. So we have, we have a responsibility. Nehemiah is identifying with those who have gone before and have messed up. So I think we have to identify. We have to be like Isaiah. Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. You can't fix a problem that you don't recognize exists. Remember Apollo 13? Apollo 13, they were attempting to go to the moon. I think they would go to the moon and circle it and come back. And there wasn't a landing. It was just getting ready for the landing. As they're on the return flight, they had a problem. So John Swigert notifies Houston. This is the corrected language because you've heard it said, Houston, we have a problem. That's not right. What he actually said was, Houston, we've had a problem. And, and Houston says, say again, please. Jim Lovell comes on and says, astronaut Jim Lovell, uh, Houston, we've had a problem. We've had low voltage on bus 12. They had a, so not only do we have a problem, we've had a problem. Now, because they recognized this problem, they were able to creatively solve that problem and survive to another day. We don't just have a problem. We've had a problem for a very long time that we need to face. So you and I, I believe you and I, not you, all of us, we need to pray something like this. Lord, show me the racism in my heart and in my mind, in my habits, in my thoughts. Show me the racism so that I can be free of it because I want to align myself with you, not with my culture. I love my family. I love my family. My family was wrong. Can you say that? And I believe that it starts with us. We're the body of Christ. We're the city set on a hill. I believe, it, I believe we have the answer. The answer is the gospel. You see, the culture creates division. Culture creates classes of people. The haves and the have-nots, the wealthy, the famous. You're judged by a lot of exterior things. You're judged by the kind of car you drive, right? You ever drive a crappy car 
or a good car, or you live in a bad part of town, you live in a good part of town, or you're wealthy, or you have a certain degree of education. The culture wants to divide you by race and class and say, you're here and you're here. But the cross is level. Because we all come to the cross in the exact same condition. We're sinners in need of a Savior. And our hope of sal- only hope of salvation is on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the, through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross, culture doesn't matter. Wealth doesn't matter. Education doesn't matter. What matters? I'm saved by grace through the work of Christ on the cross. The cross is level. So... We need to be involved in the process. We need to help because I believe the church is the answer. I believe the church has had the opportunity to be the answer several times, and we just got too dirty and didn't do it. We lost our saltiness. So how do we, how do, we do it? Well, Jesus said this. He said, love your neighbors yourself. He said this pretty clearly a couple of times, New Testament. Luke chapter 2, on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? So this man is a teacher of the law, so he asked him, okay, what does it say? He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbors yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. So, (laughs) verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. Why did he want to justify himself? Because he hadn't done it. (laughs) He hadn't loved his neighbor as himself. Have you done it? I haven't. (laughs) I mean, I had moments. Haven't you had moments? But I, I don't love my neighbor the way I love myself. That's the call. That's the challenge. That's what he's calling us to. That's what Jesus asks us. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do you know that you love God? Because of the way you love your neighbor. You demonstrate that you love God by loving your, your neighbor. You demonstrate you love God by loving your neighbor. If you don't love your neighbor, you don't love God. If you say you love God, but you don't love your neighbor, you don't love God. If you say you're a Christian, but yet you're a racist... And you don't have a problem with it, that's a problem. Amen. It's a problem with God. God said, You can't say that you belong to me, but yet you won't love your neighbor. Because I love your neighbor, you need to love your neighbor. So he's wanting to justify himself. We do this all the time. Well, I, I never, you know, I never hurt anybody. Who's my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. This is a bad situation to be in. He's on the way to Jericho. He's been beaten, and he's been stripped of his clothing and everything he had. He's laying there on the road, and as he's laying there on the road, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when they saw the man, he passed on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. Now, think about it. I mean, they, they probably felt like they had good reasons to do so. They're thinking, I don't know. I mean, they don't know the situation. They don't know if, 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 the, if the, the man that's laying there is actually hurt. Is he faking? 
Is he bait? If I stop to help him, are the robbers going to descend on me? And, and what do I know about helping people that have been beat up? I'm, I'm a priest. I'm a Levite. I, I don't know anything about helping people that have been beat up. I mean, they had, and they're always a good excuse. And they had a great excuses. And, and so, but there was another man, a Samaritan. Now, Jesus is telling this when he said some, the, the Jews looked down on the Samaritans. They consider them half-breeds. They're half-Jews. You can't be a half-Jew. If you're a half-Jew, you're not a Jew. And so the Jews looked down on the Samaritans because they, they had intermarried with Gentiles. They had, they had distorted the Word of God and kind of worshipped a little differently. And so they didn't like the Samaritans. So he's using an example. Here's a man who you would judge is not a good person. He's a Samaritan. He's not like you. He's not good like you, you teachers of the law, you Levites and you priests. He's a Samaritan. As he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an end and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expenses you have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the, the one who had mercy on him, the one who showed mercy. Jesus told him, go and do Likewise, what's the call? The call is to love my neighbor as myself. What does that look like? Well, it means you want the exact same thing that you want for your neighbor that you want for yourself. You want justice for yourself. You want justice for your neighbor. You want mercy. I want mercy. You ever want mercy for yourself? This morning, I was driving to church. Lover's Lane, the little lane that goes, connects from our house to the service road. Lover's Lane, speed limit is 30 miles an hour. You know how hard it is to go just 30 miles an hour? You have to be very conscientious about it because you will just easily drift to 35, 40 miles an hour. And so I am on the way to church doing the Lord's business. And I look to my left and there is a 40 policeman parked beside the road. And uh, I thought, oh no. I looked down and I was going about 36 miles an hour. I had passed that magic freebie five. You know, I'm thinking, oh, no. You know what I wanted in that moment? I wanted mercy. I was speeding. If I'd gotten a stop, I deserved a ticket. As my friend Dan Tarp used to say, even if I didn't deserve this ticket, I've been speeding a lot of times that I didn't get caught. <laughs> right? William? Right, William? Uh, so what do you want? You want mercy. I want freedom for myself. I, want free, I don't want to be, I, I'm, I'm very blessed. 
You see, there's this, this white privilege thing. The way this white privilege thing works is that nobody hassles me when I go into a store. Nobody hassles me when I go into a neighborhood. I've only been hassled in a neighborhood one time. I drove into Heath one time, and I was stopped by the Heath police, and they looked at my driver's license and said, what are you 40 40 people doing in Heath? It's like, well, we're driving through. Not without getting this ticket, you're not. But can you imagine when you, I've never had to think about this. Oh, I, I don't, if I drive through this neighborhood in this car, I may be stopped because I'm black and they may be questioned, why, what am I doing in this neighborhood? Or do I live in this neighborhood? Or is that my car? I've never, I've never had to deal with that. See, I should want the same things for everybody else that I want for myself. The freedom that I want for myself, I want for everybody else. The blessings that I want, I want, I, I, I'm, I'm stingy like you. I want to be blessed. I want my neighbor to be blessed. I want them, I want them to have as good a schools as my schools. Did you ever, see, I don't know if you ever, I, I'm old. So I experienced some of the separate but equal situations where there were, there were white water fountains and black water fountains and there were white schools and black schools that was just ending although it had it had been uh it had been actually by the law ended in 1954 it took almost 10 years in most places to force the schools to do it to end segregation of the schools 20 years in some places so so that but the law had required that that there would be separate but equal facilities no they weren't the facilities that they built for the blacks were crummy, and they didn't maintain them. But why? Because they didn't believe they deserved them. See, they didn't want the same things that they wanted for them, they wanted for us. You see, if I love my neighbors myself, I want the same things. I want safety. I want to be treated the same by the police. Don't you want that? Here's what Micah says. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and walk humbly with your God. What does God require of us? To walk with justice. We want to love justice. We want to seek justice for everybody. We want to love mercy. We want to walk humbly with God. We want the best for everybody. God values everybody the same. There is no difference to God because of color. We're all created in his image, every one of us. Everyone has the same value before God. And if that's what God says, that's how we need to live. That should be our call as the body of Christ. We need to to repent, ask God to help us see where we've got vestiges of racism built into our mentality that has remained from our history and from our institutions, ask God to heal us and make us new and change us. Amen? Amen. So let's pray that. Let's stand. You might have to make room for the people around you. Uh, Father, I and my fathers have sinned. My nation has sinned. My fathers have sinned, and I have sinned. 
Oh, Father, forgive us. I have not walked according to your word and your ways. I have resisted truth in my heart in many ways. And Lord, we ask that you free us from the bondage of racism, the lies of racism, the mentality of racism. As your church, as your body, as your people, we want to represent you and we want to be salt that is delightful to the taste. And we want to be light that is like a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Lord, help us, free us from the chains of racism. In Jesus' name, amen.